insight, innovation, transformation. Welcome to the Change Healthcare Podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to our first Let's Talk Interop podcast from Change Healthcare. Today's topic is moving towards electronic HEDIS measures. And I'm Robert Connolly, Vice President of Business Development for Provider Networks. And I'm Genevieve Morris, the Senior Director of Clinical Interoperability for Change Healthcare. And today we're going to be talking about the challenge of integrating claims and clinical data um, in relation to HEDIS measures. So our guest today is Eric Whitley. So he's an independent health informatics consultant. Um, and if you don't know Eric, he and I met many years ago. <laughs> I, it's, been, it's been too many to count. Uh, when I was working on an open source pop health tool for electronic clinical quality measures, um, and Eric was at Northwestern University running their electronic clinical quality measures implementation. And so that's how we got connected. And Eric has a great background within ECQMs and has been moving steadily towards the HEDIS side as, as we're changing how HEDIS works. So Eric, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited. So HEDIS season upon us. Um, I know all of the payers are, are heads down. Providers are getting them data. Um, and so that they can wrap up their HEDIS measures by the end of this year. So Rob, if you want to kick us off maybe by talking a little bit about the history of HEDIS and sort of where we've come from and, and how we're starting to evolve. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Genevieve. Um, so for those of us who, who haven't been apprised, I guess, for the, the full history of HEDIS, it really started in like the early 90s, really. Um, it was otherwise known as the, the, the Healthcare Effectiveness Data and Information Set, and it was developed by a committee called the National Committee for Quality Assurance, the NCQA. Did you and have to Google those acronyms, Rob? I, I didn't, thank goodness. <laughs> I, the one thing I do, you know, if we're going to talk about, yeah, side things, I think it was like an HMO employer uh, data previously before it became sort of the healthcare effectiveness. I know they changed it in like the late 90s, but it was nice. it was really purposed for special needs health plans. Um, the special needs health plans are, are, are things like Medicare Advantage coordinated care plans that were really designed to provide targeted care for individuals who might be institutionalized or maybe they're dual eligibles or um, folks sometimes with severe chronic conditions. Um, and, the, and the goal originally in the 90s was to sort of set apart um, an ability to help um, consumers of healthcare figure out what plans, um, how they perform relative to one another. So how do you compare plans against one another or against regional or national benchmarks? And the comparison was really sort of focused on the, the concept of quality care uh, or services provided to members of that specific health plan. And so the thing in those days where you couldn't really measure people apples to apples. So we had to come up with a standard way to, to relate performance overall and compare health plans in a consistent and reliable fashion. And so what happened was that sort of original premise started with this, the concept of we will reward preventative care. Uh, for, for these special needs populations and health plans, if you were able to increase preventative care, then of course the number of overall doctor visits will go down. Ideally, the patient's experience and better overall health care will go up. And ultimately, 
will have a reduction in the overall healthcare spending across the board. So, so that then evolved where many of the health plans started just collecting more information from the claims that were being submitted in. And, and of course, the desire is to, to focus the, the um, evidence based on that preventative care measure that was being, being looked at uh, against maybe Medicare enrollees and, and making sure that we are leveraging these reporting constructs to understand where we are year to year uh, as a health plan, as an example, uh, over time. So that's, that's sort of how it evolved. If we're thinking about the why, I, I think one interesting fact that, that I'll just throw out there, years ago, the CIA World Factbook reported that the total unfunded Medicare obligation for the United States was greater than the world's gross domestic product that year. <laughs> so it does, yeah. yeah, it stands to, to know that if, if we do manage preventative care better and we're able to reduce um, the cost while mm -hmm. improving experience and quality, then, then of course everybody wins. And so that's, yeah. that's sort of the history and, and um, experience we've seen over the last, I guess, 30 years now. Yeah. So. Well, and of course, you know, the basis in claims makes sense, right? Because if this started in the 90s, which I gotta be honest, I had no idea <laughs> that's how old this program was, you know, records weren't electronic, right? You know, for history's right. sake, you know, 2010, right, is when meaningful use kicked off. And I think we were sitting, what, like at, like maybe 10% EHR adoption within hospitals at that point. And, and now we're almost 100% at hospitals and, you know, somewhere north of 80 or 90 in provider sides. So it's, yeah, it makes, makes perfect sense. So, so we would be remiss <laughs> since you talked about preventative care, you know, the last two, two years with COVID, and I, I can't believe I have to say two years, because um, <laughs> it's, it's a little depressing to be honest, but um, you know, the last two years with COVID, you know, has just had a major impact on everything, right? I mean, I, I don't think I have found a single portion of life today that's not affected by COVID, including, you know, random things like we have a paint that's not available to paint your house because of restrictions and things like that. Um, so when it comes to COVID and HEDIS, I mean, I, I think um, there's like, I think two impacts. I'd love to get, you know, Eric and, and Rob, your opinion on this. Like I, I see two different impacts, you know, one, a lot of the manual legwork that used to be done for HEDIS measures of going to the provider sites and being able to look at their EHR systems while you're there or have them give you printouts, you know, over the last two years are just not possible because the offices are restricting, you know, who can be there in order to prevent the spread of COVID. Then, you know, the second thing that I tend to see is, you, you know, a lot of the HEDIS work, I think, looks is a look back period on the claims data and, and a lot of historical and in order, you know, doing all the preventative work to try and keep people healthy. And because of the way COVID has struck, particularly in the older population, you know, perfectly healthy individuals um, who maybe didn't even need any preventative care ended up in the hospital with COVID, right? And so it, it seems like just using the claims-based data for HEDIS, when you think about COVID, you know, will lead to inaccurate measures because you can't really use them as predictive models for the future, right? I mean, I, I'm just curious, Eric or Rob, if, if, if you guys have thoughts on that, but that's kind of where I tend to land on some of the impact COVID has had. Well, Genevieve, I mean, something you and I worked on together in passing, since you mentioned, you know, meaningful use, Genevieve and I worked on quality reporting, but also there was an aspect of that, which was syndromic surveillance mm -hmm. and watching what happened here in Chicago, 
you know, we've got a lot of very large academic medical centers that we're trying to coordinate because they're trying to do a syndromic surveillance. And it's really difficult to do that with claims data. How can you be proactive and monitor? We were watching this stuff on a daily basis. And it's heartbreaking to know you simply don't have the data that you need to monitor this until post-discharge. At that point, the damage is done. Like, how do you follow that and come up with things like, well, we need to route patients to a different facility? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're trying to use the HEDIS measures for care gaps, right? Like, right. How, how do you do that with the claims-based data when you don't know that someone was in the hospital and discharged and they had COVID and they had, you know, they had a lung issue or a heart issue and now they need all kinds of follow-up care. It's yeah, it makes sense. It's just a huge impact. And um, one interesting thing, Genevieve, about the, the concept of the history, there used to be five domains of care and now there's a sixth. And that sixth one to this, this whole premise here is measures that are collected using electronic clinical data systems. Right. So I, I think the sort of, if you read the the tea leaves there, it, it goes to show that everybody's sort of focused on that trajectory as well. Yeah. So this is this is a good uh, segue for Eric's area of expertise and where he's been doing a lot of work is, all right, so now, you know, we, I think we all agree, um, we've got all this clinical data that's now electronic. Yay. <laughs> it makes all of our lives better, hopefully, aside from maybe sometimes the physician who has to do a lot of typing into the system. Um, but now we have the option of doing um, clinical-based HEDIS measures um, in, in addition to just the claims. So we're seeing that kind of pivot. And, and Eric, I'm just, you know, this is your area of expertise. So what are you seeing in the field and sort of what are your thoughts on, on how you start to combine these things together and what some of the pitfalls might be for that? Well, I mean, it's interesting, right? I, I work with physicians who treat these measures kind of as a black box and they don't have a lot of faith or trust in a lot of these because they don't necessarily see the data that are going into them because you've got a process that's ultimately resulting in billing using the upstream data they're entering and growing the trust in that. I think for them to be able to see the clinical data factor into this is an incredibly part, important part of this because ultimately we're not trying to do quality measurement. We're trying to do quality improvement. We're trying to really impact people's care and close those care gaps. So by having them, um, be able to have some more trust in this, we're going to wind up actually seeing better results, better adoption of even, even the measurement um, results that come out of these. So the first question I often ask with a lot of these measures is, do you have the data that you need? And Robert mentioned this is about evidence. And if the only evidence you have is, is really the claims data, that's, that's ignoring a massive amount of information that we could use to improve care. Um, when you look at this, you're gonna see things like, you know, you've got a limited set of procedures, a limited set of diagnoses, and possibly some medications. And looking at the comprehensive care records that are available from, from patients that are in, as you pointed out, Genevieve, now that we've got greater adoption of the EMRs, it's simply ignoring a lot of data that we can use to help improve that quality of that care. So I'm personally very excited that NCQA is starting to move towards a model that's allowing us to um, enrich the record by using that clinical and the claims. Mm -hmm. So really the question comes back, right? Why, why were we using claims in the first place? And the answer is really that it was the best data that we had available that was coded in a way that was regular in both structure and form. So we have things like procedures in ICD. We have, uh, excuse me, procedures in both ICD and CPT. You have diagnoses in um, ICD-10 now. 
But when you look at that, there's a lot of investment that goes into coding that. There's a lot of um, semantic agreements and tactic agreement, those kinds of things. And they take a lot of effort and a lot of time to get there. So I think that what we're seeing is also kind of a long tail of, it's just taken a long, a long time to get to the point where the clinical data is even structured enough. Um, again, both in terms of vocabularies and the actual agreements on how to uh, transmit this data so we can even use it. And a lot of that comes from, you know, you mentioned earlier, meaningful use, and then the evolution of a lot of those individual um, program benefits that came out of things that USCDI is now a big deal. We even, excuse me, agree on having what terminologies we're gonna to use to encode data to be shared across sites. And without that common agreement, you really can't get kind of an apples to apples comparison across um, institutions so that you can even attempt to correlate uh, measurement of each of these individual um, areas that you need to improve. So I'm really personally very happy that NCQA is moving in this direction. I think it's not only a vindication of the value of the data, but it's actually going to help drive forward a lot of investment in the data themselves. That again, going back to this idea, it's not about quality measurement, it's about quality improvement. We're actually gonna be able to drive clinical quality improvement activities by having things like allergies, contraindications, problems, other rich observation or result data. Even something simple that I'm actually often asked about is, well, can you describe the nature of the encounter that the patient was um, involved in? And the answer is, well, I can tell you the facility account. I can't necessarily mm -hmm. tell you the clinical aspects of that stuff. Um, a lot of this information that's coming out now that we need to help drive larger population health efforts, like social determinants, family history, mm -hmm. that's stuff that's simply not in claims data, that's in clinical that we can start using to, to drive improvement. Now, what's interesting, right, people is they talk about fragmented care um, across institutions. You wanna create a comprehensive patient health record. Even within one institution though, without the investment in the, the clinical data, you've simply got pockets yeah. of data that are basically the same fragmented care problem, but kind of at a, a micro level within an institution. So it's gonna be a lot of work, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm really excited about it, but blending this data, knowing that they're meant for different purposes and knowing that they're potentially measured to different levels of granularity, you'll often hear about things like, you know, precision versus accuracy. Hopefully we'll be able to improve precision while not distracting from the fact that we need to drive accuracy is a, is a really important thing to invest in with this. You're listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. We're enabling a better, more efficient healthcare system. Whether you need to improve operational efficiency, optimize financial performance, or enhance the consumer experience, we offer the industry insight and innovative technology to help you meet your objectives. Learn more at changehealthcare.com. You know, anytime you start to move something to an electronic world, right, or combine two different electronic things, I think you always sort of have to take a little bit of a step back and reevaluate, you know, what do you what do you have to have in order to make it work? I think I think back to when we went to the EHR systems. You know, so many providers tried to take their manual paper process and just like make that electronic, right? Without thinking they needed to change any workflows or do anything differently. And I think when you look at um, the HEDIS re measure reporting system, as you start to bring clinical data in um, and you think about the accuracy and the semantic and the syntactic values and making it all standardized, I think it's, it's a little bit of the same thing, right? Like you can't necessarily take that paper-based process they were using even on the clinical data acquisition 
and just make that electronic and expect it to work exactly the same way, right? You've got to sort of change how things work. And I think that really um, lends itself to what NCQA is doing with its new certification program. So they've, you know, they've had, um, and Rob, you correct me if I say this wrong, because I uh, am not as familiar with this, but they had the certification programs for the supplemental information where you could go and, and that becomes part of your audit process as a payer, right? That's That's been around for a while. And right. then- Okay, and then the new stuff that they just announced, I think, um, a couple of weeks ago with their inaugural uh, certifying folks with the pilot, really tries to certify the um, clinical data acquisition process to ensure that the data that you're picking up from the provider site isn't getting so changed in the process that by the time it gets over to the payer, it no longer represents the clinical data. As it, as it was, right? So to make sure that there's accuracy throughout the whole process. Um, and I think that, you know, you really have to have something like that from NCQA in order to make this work, right? Because otherwise you're just trying to translate a paper process to the electronic world in the same, you know, one-to-one -one ratio, which just doesn't totally work. Um, and Rob, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I think you're a little bit more familiar with the NCQA programs than I am. But. No, I think, I mean, you, you sort of nailed it, but just to sort of double click on that a little bit. Um, as Eric mentioned, the concept of the, the data structure itself being so in, you know, important to the concept of even you know, act, you know, bringing the data in, parsing it, using it for some effective measurement um, or, or improvement thereafter is critical. But to your point about having the right accuracy in the process of collection and managing through that access point um, for actually acquiring the content necessary, even in whatever structure it may be in that point, um, to ensure that it's brought forward uh, for parsing and utilization thereafter is, is paramount. So I think, Eric, to your point about claims just sort of started in a, in a good structure and con construct, I think moving to a, a clinical structure that's also sort of universally agreed upon as an industry, and then allowing sort of intermediaries in the process to you know, provide accurate collection and, and delivery of that information out to the sort of population health analytics systems that exist uh, is sort of key for the next phase. So well, I absolutely agree with you. To follow up on something that the uh, completely agreeing with you and following up with something that Genevieve mentioned, right? This is all about people. And the thing I think you're going to constantly have is the risk here is, you know, I'm, I primarily function in a technical role. I'm, I'm actually tend to function in between the business and the technical these days. So I'm kind of the glue that translates. But the important thing here is we can't focus so much on data collection that we ignore the fact that ultimately we have a real usability problem by growing the domain of data we're asking these systems and by virtue of that, these providers to, you know, address. I mean, knowing that a provider is under a really regimented, potentially like as limited as 15 minute time window to interact with a patient and then somehow capture this massive amount of information that we ultimately want. It's, it's a real, it's a real usability struggle. And my fear, right, is obviously that in the absence of figuring out the people problem, we are just going to create such a big, I think the word you used at Genevieve was accounting, right? We're turning this into accounting in a way that really is a burdensome on the provider. So I'm hoping that we wind up having, I guess, a way that the way I describe it as an iPhone moment, right? Where we have this revolutionary change that allows us to get all this great data, 
but also aligns it in a way that makes it easier for a provider to get their job done. Yeah, yeah I, I actually am headed to a brand new PCP for the first time in seven or eight years. <laughs> um, and I, I don't even want to know how it's going to go or how long that visit's going to take because I, I already know from my my old physician, who was wonderful. I loved my last PCP. I'm only switching because I moved. Um, but I already know, because I actually check my patient portal, that there are multiple items in my patient chart that are no longer up to date yep. because she never went through and closed anything, right? So I have problems that have been open for years, like the flu, <laughs> that I obviously don't still have years later, right? And I think there's a, there's a lot of those kinds of issues. I think um, you know, one of the things we've, we have found in, in working on clinical data acquisition, and, and I know from my experience at the federal level is, you know, there is an issue with accuracy of data within the EHR systems, right? So, you know, one, there's still coding problems, right? Like, it's great. I, I'm a big fan of the USCDI. There's policy I helped develop. Um, but you still have to account for the provider organization's you know, coding things differently than you expect them to because of the quirks of their practice, yep, right? Exactly. Um, so the example I always use, I worked with an organization, an FQHC, who when a patient would leave their practice, instead of marking that patient inactive, they would mark them as deceased. And then they used like a totally custom field to mark someone as actually deceased. And I was like, what, how does this work? <laughs> and it, it had to do with like trying to do some reports for the feds. And that was like the only way they could get their system to work. So, so I think that data accuracy issue is, is going to continue to be a problem um, as we move along and, and, you know, thinking through what services we need to be able to better um, or supplement the data itself to make it more accurate is, is going to be you know, really important. Um, so Eric, in, in working in the field with providers, like you know, obviously the accuracy of the information and, and doing, you know, care gaps and things like that are important, but is there anything else as far as, you know, just practical concrete advice that you would have either for providers or the payer side based on your experience in the field? Well, you know what, as long as we've got this quorum here, I mean, I think, I think the thing that I have grown to, so, you know, I've been working in IT generally for probably 25 years now. And as my career has shifted, I've become more aware of the fact that, you know, technology doesn't solve problems. People solve problems. Technology is a tool we use. So I guess the thing that I'd say is first and foremost, focused on the patient and the care team's strategic needs. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, we want to deliver is more valuable data that supports your organization's priorities. More data in and of itself actually creates problems, right? Yeah. So normally I know that a project is off to a bad start when I, I hear people start talking about technology from the offset. Um, I worked at, at an advertising company called Publicis for a few years and um, a gentleman by the name of Jack Clues impressed the heck out of me as a very young technology person. He said, you know, tools don't solve problems. And to sound very anti-nerd with this, I mean, I think the three things you've got to do is first pick the right problems, focus on them, and then make every effort to deliver on those. But Everything has to start with the leadership identifying what the strategic goals are. And then you've got to align the measures and the data along with those strategic initiatives. So it has to be about the value though in supporting what those strategic initiatives are. Um, I mean, I love dealing with technology, but ultimately everything comes with uh, cost and time and things get very expensive and very complicated very, very quickly. So 
I think the, the thing you've got to do is identify what the strategic goals are, figure out what the value is, and then start separating those needs and wants. And then knowing that the regulatory technology, even the standards, um, you know, these, these areas that we play in are changing and evolving rapidly. We're in an amazing time right now. We're basically in, you know, the healthcare IT gold rush evolutionary area in terms of it's changing every day, the tactics that we've got to, to use to deal with this. So I, when I think about it, um, I mean, I always think this is a much bigger problem than technology. Technology is just highlighting the fact that you have an information need, right? Mm -hmm. What you've mm -hmm. got to understand is it just because it's in a computer doesn't mean it's a computer problem, <laughs> you know? That's, that's awesome. I don't think I've ever heard that, but that's <laughs> super true. Yeah. Well, I mean, what we need is we need experts who can help us figure out how to juggle, manage, and apply this information ethically to its full advantage. And so when I think about it, what really makes or breaks a lot of this for me is it probably, you know, three things. One, teamwork. You got to get the right team of people and that team has changed the structures change it's not like you can go to the it team and be like fix my clinical interoperability and quality reporting problem first thing they're going to do is start phoning friends and those friends are clinicians yeah. quality improvement teams let's be honest genevieve i've called you a bunch of times on regulatory <laughs> questions yeah. right because this yep. stuff changes um, and then the other thing is you've got to have the, the informaticists, this new and growing discipline where you're like, I really don't know SNOMED, but my wife, who is an informatics, um, uh, she's an MD and an informatics expert at the VA, I annoy the heck out of her by calling her and asking her questions about things like SNOMED, the details of it, LOINC. And you've got to have that right team that can basically, like I mentioned, I can see myself as glue. You've got to be able to translate across these highly complex areas and grow a team that can collaborate and make something that's gonna address these bigger needs. And then what you've gotta do is going back to this leadership question, you've gotta build a data savvy organization, starting with the acknowledgement from the senior leadership that this isn't like a project you just deliver on and then magically it goes away. <laughs> you've got a constant investment in this. This is now a part of your organization, much like you'd have any other asset that you have within your company, you've gotta manage your data and your processes are your assets that are going to power how you get work done. And leadership has to kind of agree to just kind of think about it a little differently than again, just, you know, you're going to buy a computer and magically everything's solved. Yeah. And then on an ongoing basis, what you're going to need is governance to keep, I mean, people hate that word, but let's be honest, it's what you need. You're going to need to have governance with driven through that team I mentioned, that's going to keep tabs on how you're doing everything. Look for changes, be aware of the fact that, you know, well, there's this regulatory change that means we're going to have to start planning on how to implement something differently or use, you know, your own internal quality data quality reports to say, you know what, we actually think we've got an opportunity to improve how we do care. But in order to do that, we've got to improve some of the data capture here. Let's come meet with clinicians and figure out how to get this done in a usable way that's going to help them be happy, but also get what we need done. Yeah. And then the only the last thing I'd mention is everything, everything, everything. And some people that I work with, um, they worked with at Northwestern and I'm, I'm lucky enough to continue working with at, at Health Catalyst, TJ Elbert, Nick Smith. One of the things that we worked with for ages or our message was we've got to start by focusing on the patient. The patient's mm -hmm. at the core of this. And if you stop looking at data as data and you start looking at it as a dimension of these people's lives, it fundamentally changes, it introduces an aspect of humility into how you manage this data that I think is really critical for how you start considering how it's used on a daily basis. I mean, we're using this to make decisions that impact people's lives. How can we, how can we do that in a positive way? Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And you know, two things that jump out to me from what you said, one, as much as I love fire, 
it does not magically solve our problems. No. <laughs> like you can't, it's, you can't, and we, we hear this a lot, right? Is uh, just implement a fire API. You're like good to go. And, and in fact, while fire APIs are awesome and allow us to do significantly more things, including asking for individual pieces of data or, you know, bulk fire asking for multiple records at a time, it doesn't solve every problem. Um, and then the second is that if I could go back 20 years in my career, I should have become a clinical informaticist because I'm pretty sure they are in <laughs> super high demand. Um, you know, we see that here at Change Healthcare as well is, is the increasing need for clinical informaticists who really have like a, a deep knowledge and understanding of that data um, who can do the translation. Because, you know, at the end of the day, right, for the foreseeable future, when it comes to HEDIS, we are combining claims and clinical, right? Yeah. It's not... It's not going to be one or the other. It's going to be, I need to translate this SNOMED CT problem code because I'm required to capture it in SNOMED CT for the clinical use case into an ICD-10 code because that's what I have to do for the claims data. Um, and they, they are not necessarily a one-to-one -one ratio at this point. No, exactly. Um, it's, really, it's really tricky. Although the ICD-10 codes are a lot more fun. I will say that. Like they're, they're a lot more humorous as far as... <laughs> what they codify but you're, you're talking um, about the uh, the subsequent water ski on fire yes theory. yes yeah and you know united healthcare i think it's united has that whole commercial um set around the very humorous icd-10 codes of like dancing in your living room or some crazy stuff like that so so that's i, I mean i think it's it's really clear that you know we we as an industry you know really need those clinical informaticists on board to help with a lot of this data translation um so you're not just moving the data around you're you're making sure that it, it meets the purpose um so we're we're getting towards the end of our time um so rob around HEDIS, anything else that you want to throw in the mix and eric you'll get your chance to, to throw anything else in <laughs> For me, I just want to underscore Eric's comment about this is a people problem more than anything. I think that in and of itself, I mean, the fact that providers and their staff are burning out at epic levels these days, there are many different, um, there, there's so many different requests that are coming to a provider on any given day. And to Eric's point about um, the, the cost and time related to just triaging of those things, um, it's exacerbating the system in such a way that I would argue that if you can find a solution that could assist the providers and their staff with triaging these requests at a fraction of the cost and the time and the overall effort, uh, then you can start moving that needle on um, burnout a little bit. And all the while, if you're able to create measurable, quantifiable improvements, as, as little as they are over time, they compound upon themselves and, and do make a difference. So Eric, uh, thank you so much for mentioning the concept of, of the people factor, because I feel like that is abstracted quite often, especially in technological conversations with folks who are just very used to the standard acronyms of our industry. Um, and, and immediately people knee jerk and jump to a technical solution for the problems that we have before us. But really in, in all actuality, it's, it is the people that make the needles move, that make the difference, that improve the care and the quality of life for all of the members and persons of whom we, we care for every day. So with that, I just want to underscore that, Genevieve, and I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, no, and I would, you know, dare I say, I'll mention the words information blocking that start to shift this paradigm from 
you know, not sharing to sharing. Um, and I, I think your point on, you know, providers, I, I think providers and, and from organizations we've talked to, I think they're just starting to see the increasing demand for the clinical data, not just from the patient side, but from the payer side. I mean, you know, Payers are eager to get their hands on this for a lot of different reasons, right? And it isn't all, it isn't all negative, right? Like they need to do fetus measures. And a lot of payers are super interested in doing care coordination. And I think, you know, particularly you think about Medicare Advantage plans and what just happened with COVID, you know, they are scrambling to find ways to manage the care of a number of individuals who are going to have long-term effects of COVID, Right. So if I was a payer um, who had MA plans or Medicare Advantage plans, like I would be so anxious to get access to that clinical data so that I could make sure that my members are getting the follow-up care that they need so that they don't end up back in an ICU if they made it back, if they made it out of it, right? Like, I think we're just starting to see the scramble for that kind of data so they can do their management better. And that creates a huge burden on the provider side for sure of, you know, what do we release out and how do we manage that when, when we've got, you know, so many different plans coming to us for data. So I think it's, it's a really good point. Um, Eric, anything else you wanted to toss in around TDIS and where we're headed? I'm just excited to see a lot of this growth. I mean, I think it's, it's about time that, you know, I know in the academic medical center world, we've been trying to combine claims and clinical data for a long time. And yeah. internally people have been do, using it to drive what, what, what my friend TJ would call standards of care, which is, you know, you've got an internal quality reporting for this. I'm really excited about the prospect of seeing more of the payer-oriented measures growing to incorporate some of that rich data that I think will improve the lives of yeah. people. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And, and here at Change Healthcare, you know, we, we work with those payers to help them get access to that data so they can do their HEDIS measures, so they can do their care gaps and send them back to the providers so they can close them. And then, you know, we work with the provider side to try and make it easier to get that data out. So hopefully by addressing both sides of that equation, we're, we're ultimately improving the care for patients. Because I, I think it's, I really do think particularly with COVID, it's going to be so important to have those care gaps for the providers so that they can see you know, where do I have patients who are falling through the cracks or who now have brand new healthcare needs that they didn't have before they got COVID, right? That, that now they just have these long-term impacts. And so I think we're really excited that we get to work with both sides of that equation and, and hopefully putting the patients right at the center and making life better for them. So, um, all right, that is, I think all the time we have, <laughs> we might've gone a little bit over, but it was a really fun conversation. Eric, thank you for being with us today. We appreciate the expertise you brought. Thank you um, for having me. Rob, you're just stuck with me, so you're here every day. <laughs> but thank <laughs> you for joining. For um, and for those who are listening, um, don't forget to check out the show notes. We're happy to provide some links to resources and contact information for today's show. We'll, we'll put our Twitter handles in there if you want to tweet at us. Um, plus, we'll provide some links to some of the NCQA certification program stuff. Um, and then stay tuned for our next Let's Talk Interop podcast. Um, we are anxiously, not anxiously, wrong word, but we're excitedly working on a topic for that one and a speaker that we'll, we'll bring to you all um, talking about healthcare IT topics that you care about. Uh, for more information on our clinical interoperability solutions and any other healthcare IT topics, you can visit changehealthcare.com and just in the search bar, put in clinical interoperability solutions and you'll find our page. 
I'm Genevieve Morris, and on behalf of my co-host, Rob Connolly, and our expert guest, Eric Whitley, we hope you have a great rest of your day and that your HEDA season goes well. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. We're focused on accelerating the transformation of the healthcare system through the power of the Change Healthcare Platform. We provide data and analytics-driven solutions to improve clinical, financial, administrative, and patient engagement outcomes in the U.S. healthcare system. Learn more at changehealthcare.com.